0: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Day. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, it's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Adam Holland. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. It's a busy time for Duck Athletics, that's for sure.
0: Uh, it sure is. As we are recording this, uh, Oregon's women's volleyball is uh, playing their their match against uh, Nebraska in Louisville. Um we will probably wind up talking about, uh, the women's volleyball season next week. Uh, for now, uh, Oregon has started out, um, conference play in men's basketball. Um, a couple of, uh, pretty exciting games. Uh, you know, they, uh, uh, they took it to to wazoo pretty effectively and then they lost a close one, kind of a heartbreaker, frankly, to, uh, to UCLA. What have you been seeing out of the men's basketball
1: team, Adam? Well, um, as i pointed out in the couple articles that I've done, there's, there's been some uh, frustrating inconsistencies with the basketball team. Um, One thing I have seen though, is uh, that uh, they've had a problem staying healthy. Uh, There's no other way around that. Uh, They're missing a lot of players um, in the uh, Phil Knight invitational. And uh, it showed. However, at the same time, I think that uh, some of the problems that had plagued them last year are still kind of hanging around, and that is um, defensively and um, shooting the ball from the outside. I think you saw a lot of that early in the season, that they had trouble with that, um, starting in the loss to UC Irvine and then continuing into the, uh, the losses in Portland, where uh, it's, it, it's a different era in basketball, and hitting the outside shot is critical and um, if, you, if you can't shoot from the outside, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Uh, now, they did rely pretty heavily on their bigs, and um, their bigs, as I've pointed out many times, have been like a consistent bright spot for them. Um, Kalil Ware, I think, is playing great as a freshman. He's showing his, his, his five-star status. Uh Nate Biddle has started to contribute a little more. I know people were kind of disappointed last year that he wasn't able to contribute as much as as assumed with the uh with the with the five star status as well. And then Nafali Dante really looks like he's taken on that kind of like leadership role in his senior season. Uh looks like he's he's really um paced himself and 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 is looking uh like a potential NBA draft pick. So the uh, the inside game for Oregon basketball has been a bright spot. Um, it helped them with their win uh, over Washington State. Against UCLA, I think they've looked a lot better since they started conference play. They looked really solid in the win over Washington State. And against UCLA, uh, They they looked pretty solid. Again, like I said, some of the defensive issues came into play later in the game as it started to slip away from them. But again, UCLA is a pretty tough team. Uh, You know, top top twenty-five ranking at Pauley Pavilion, never an easy place to play. Uh, So there's no such thing as a as a good loss. But I think the basketball team as a whole looked a lot more solid in their uh, two conference games than they did earlier in Portland.
0: Well, I, I think probably the number one thing that has been a relief uh, even though they split these games has been um Will Richardson doesn't look terrible. Um uh and in, indeed he was sort of turning it on at the end of the the PK85 tournament. You know, he played pretty well against Michigan State and Villanova. Um like you know, partly because of the injury situation, partly because, you know, Oregon's really gone big. Like, they, you know, that's it. Will Richardson's their guard. You know, they're, he's really the only, you know, ball handler they've got. Um, and, like, if he's, you know, if he's cold, it's a real problem. And he fortunately has not, you know, been cold, you know, the last you know couple of games. You know, really, I sort of put down... You know, uh, a lot of this to the health situation. You know, they're only playing eight guys, you know, at this point. Um, and, 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 and not even really eight. you know, like Tyrone Williams only, you know, gets a couple of minutes. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to the bench for extensive minutes for Rigsby, um, and, and Luke War uh, like, uh, the, the, um, and then like when Gurrier, uh, you know, looked like he got injured there at the UCLA game. I mean, just my heart dropped into my stomach. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Guerrier is essential to the, the, the team. He's pretty much kind of like the senior, uh, leadership, uh, position on that team. Um, he's probably our most consistent player with how he plays. Um, I love how he gets after it at the forward position with his rebounding. And, um, yeah, hopefully, like I said, we can just really need to start staying healthy. Um, I know that, that was uh, the conference start was a little early. It's a little different how they do it now. They'll throw in a couple conference games in December. Uh, the, the real conference grind doesn't start until the end of the month um, when we open up against Oregon State and uh yeah, so I think for the rest of December, while you have like a what what's left is a you know fairly easy schedule mostly at home with you know lower tier competition, I think the main thing is just trying to make sure everybody stays healthy uh because if you if you're heading forward into conference play you know with a rotation of you know eight players or less, uh that's not not a good look um for that as far as depth goes.
0: Well, and you start to see some like effort stuff, you know, like, like Oregon's defensive rebounding has actually been pretty good, but their offensive rebounding, especially against UCLA was just atrocious, you know, like they were not getting second shot opportunities, you know, basically at all, um, UCLA really started trapping um and uh you know the 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 real fun stuff to watch against Wazoo were those you know the those shovel dunks uh to 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 Dante right like that was you know getting yeah. getting Dante back has been huge and he's undefendable um you know when when he's heading to the basket you know if you got a, if you've got a lane to pass it to him going to the basket like he's basically undefendable like he's just like he's too big and uh and just too you know, too strong and physical, like you're, you know, he's, he's not, you know, built like a stick either. Um, and you know, the, the problem is, you know, he can't, he can't do that for 40 minutes and it becomes sort of, you know, obvious that that's your scoring because, you know, if Richardson's not driving and Gary's playing on half a wheel, like, you know, your offense becomes a little more, you know, obvious. And that's when you need to be getting, you know, you need to be, you know, shooting, floaters and and you need to be able to come up with the rebounds and that's where i think really the injury situation is killing oregon is because they're you know they're they're out their best offensive rebounders and when you're you know giving extensive minutes to you to 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 only a handful of guys like those effort plays um you know, to, to generate offensive rebounds, to generate steals, to generate, uh, you know, the, the ability to steal possessions, you know, uh, sort of disappears. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, uh, that was, that was an issue with them last year too. Um, on the, on the other side was giving up offensive rebounds. And yeah. so, um, you know, it, it kind of like switched from giving up too many offensive rebounds and giving other teams second possessions, Uh, To the point where, like, they can't corral any offensive rebounds themselves for second possessions, even with the incredible size that they have. And, um, like, that becomes definitely an issue when you're talking about um, offensive firepower, which has been kind of one of their issues so far this season.
0: I'm looking forward to the rematch um, with UCLA later in the season because I think that's a really beatable team. And I think the way that Oregon is built is is actually, you know, if they're healthy, uh, t- takes on UCLA pretty well. And, I mean, you saw it in this game in particular because, like, because of how dependent on scoring they are on uh, – on, um, uh, uh, what's his name? He's got Cam Rising's facial hair. <laughs> I'm forgetting his yeah. name. Um, uh, uh, th- w- where, you know, the, the – the, where they put them in foul trouble and all of a sudden UCLA scoring disappears like and, and and that happens basically because Oregon is, you know, is playing aggressive and they can afford to do that at the beginning of games. But then, you know, the the injury situation is putting them in a position where they can't play as aggressive. And then, you know, UCLA scorers come back in and, you know, you know, they go from a 21 point, first half ucla does to a 44 point second half and it's like yeah fouls explain that um you know whereas oregon scoring performance is very consistent um because they're playing exactly the same guys throughout because that's you know where they situation well we'll hope that they get healthy um and we'll look forward to the rest of the season i'm like i said i'm really looking forward to the the the
1: the, the rematch against ucla
0: i assume you are too
1: oh yeah definitely um i I, I feel like that was uh, one of those games that we probably should have had kind of slipped away from us and uh yeah. yeah definitely looking forward to the rematch at matthew Knight i think I think like you said we match up well with them and they're, they're a very beatable team
0: all right let's take a break uh, we come back we'll uh talk about the the football season wrapping up Well, Adam, I, I published my uh, f- my final regular season statistical review of the football team. Um, I had published a mid-season review after week six, you know, during the bye week. And so this was, you know, the natural follow-up to it. Um, I, uh, y- y- you know, the, the the last three games featured two losses that were, you know, two rivals and and, you know, were pretty painful. But, like, going through the statistical review, I, I sort of felt like... You know what, this is a 9-3 season in the first year with, you know, where a couple of those losses, you know, uh, you know, a few things go different. You know, it's not like they were blown out in those two losses. Like they, they were Painful, and there were aspects where you know Oregon's defense couldn't stop the opponent, you know, at all. But the offense was good enough, despite an injury to the quarterback, um, you know, to put up a bunch of points every game. Uh, and, uh, and and the defense in most games played well enough to, you know, keep them, you know, to to, to to limit the opponent and start to make them desperate. And and Oregon was able to shut games down. Uh, overall, I thought this was a pretty successful season, encouraging for Lanning's first year. Um, I think that they, you know, that it was a young coaching staff that probably needs to, you know, grow up a little bit, um, in, in terms of like, you know, certain game management, you know, decisions I think could have been wiser, but I really appreciated the, um, they seem to be, you know, pretty good uh, at the analytics. Like, you know, I think one of the things that you get with a young coaching staff that's really sharp is that they they are not stuck with some of the old ways, you know, and like traditional. Like, well, this is just how we always done it, and this is how the coach that I came up under, you know, taught me to do it. Like, they actually like pretty, you know, aggressively go for it on stuff like fourth down, uh, you know, multiple onside kicks, you know, stealing possessions, you know, great management of the end of end of half drives. Um, you know, they win the middle eight in, in every game that they play. Uh, you know, I, I, I really think sort of the, 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 even though the end of the season was sort of a, a bitter one that like, I was actually pretty encouraged by this coaching staff and they graded out, you know, fairly well is, is, you know, what I discovered. Was that your take too, or how did you feel about the, the 2022 season?
1: Honestly, um yeah, I think the 2022 season went, you know, about roughly how I thought it was going to be. I said um back in the summer that I was thinking we would probably be about a 10-win team. Um I did not think we would make it through conference play undefeated. Um and I wasn't expecting the home winning streak to come to an end this year, but you never know what's going to happen. Um I think that what you saw um on the whole I think was a really rough start with that shellacking by Georgia and then a, a great response by Oregon to recover from that and go on that winning streak, get themselves set up in the, uh, in the, in the top 10 and everything, get themselves in position uh, for conference championship or even like, you know, outside looking in college football playoff. Um, I think the problem that you saw uh, was kind of like reminiscent of last year where you you do all that and you have yourself set up like that, but you just got to be able to finish the season. And so I think moving forward with Lanning and his crew, I think that's going to be something that they need to show is that they can finish just as strong. Um, Now, granted, like you said, the two games that we lost were games that, in a lot of ways, we could have and, and maybe should have won. Uh, so it's it's not like you're at like a you know a complete loss to explain like I don't know what happened. We just completely fell apart. So basically, I think it you know it, it begins and ends on the defensive end. Uh, I know offensively. I, I went into a, an article about kind of like how Dillingham tried to do too many cute things in situations like that. Um, I stand by that. I, I don't think some of that decision making the last three games was 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 ideal. I think there was you know a lot of situations where we should have stuck to fundamentals. But in the end, the defense has to be able to do its job against offenses where you know what you're going to get. And I think that's what we saw um, against Washington and Oregon State. Uh, Washington, you knew what you were going to get. You knew you're going to have to deal with Penix throwing the ball. That's what they do. They're an aerial attack team. And uh, they ended up, you know, torching Oregon for uh, 400 yards through the air. And then against Oregon State, the same thing. You You know what you're going to get from them. You know they're not a passing team. Uh, you know they're just going to ground a pound and um i think you know then you you see the same thing come up you know over 3 and like almost 300 yards rushing on the ground you you have to be able to understand if a team is going to do that and you know they're going to do that then you have to i think game plan a little better and just be ready for that and 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 be able to stop it a little better than they did in both those games um, so yeah, I think that um I think we showed a lot of potential this year. Um, you know, the wins against BYU and UCLA, and particularly now Utah, you know, who just thumped USC and was going to the Rose Bowl, looks even more impressive on our resume. Uh yeah, but those two those two setbacks against against UW and Oregon State, um, yeah, I would like to see that kind of shorn up on the on the defensive end where especially if you know exactly what a team's going to do then you, you have to be more aptly prepared for it.
0: I mean, that's the thing that's just, um, astonishing is, uh, you know, Oregon on the defense, you know, and, and what the, the results of my charting is that like, basically in, in all of their wins, plus half of the, the ball in their in two of their losses, right. Uh, They're playing at like 60% efficiency, which is championship level, like obviously not against Georgia and not against Oregon state's rushing attack and not against Washington's passing attack, but against every other team that they played and against Washington's rushing attack and Oregon state's passing attack, hell, they were so effective against Oregon state's passing attack that Oregon state stopped passing, you know, um, yeah they're playing at a championship caliber. Now that doesn't mean perfect championship caliber does not mean the greatest defense that you've ever seen. Championship caliber means that they win six out of 10 plays, which is, that's hard to do in football. Um, the to on a consistent basis. Um, but here's the thing that's, that's remarkable. Like, you know, I, I have, I've charted, you know, more than a hundred, you know, full, full seasons of, of various teams. And, it is usually true that they play you know, worse in their losses than in their wins. I'm not, you know, I hope that's not surprising to anybody, but usually the fall off is not that big. Like it's one of the reasons why, you know, film study and charting is so predictive. It's like, wait a minute, you charted, you know, them play, you know, six different G five teams or whatever. Like how, how do you know that that's how they're going to match up, you know, in the next game? It's like, because teams tend to play, you know, on an efficiency basis. Anyway, explosiveness is a little different, but efficiency, like whether you win or lose a play, um, it tends to be fairly similar um from opponent to opponent and from game to game. And, you know, when you you have little fall offs, they're usually like a couple of points, you know, six, seven, you know, uh, you know, points worth of efficiency. You go from like fifty-three percent to forty-seven percent, you know, something along those lines. That's not what Oregon did. In their bad games, they go from sixty percent to thirty percent. Like yeah. It, it's. I mean, they, they, they. I mean, that's the. It's. It's insane. Like i It's not that I've never seen it before. I have, but like I never would have expected to see it out of this team. Um, given the the talent level. Um, like that's the sort of thing that that teams that are like low talent teams that are sort of skating by. Um, happen to them. That's not. You know Oregon, um, and, and like to go from a championship caliber defense in most of their games to just getting absolutely pantsed in you know certain games is you know baffling, and it's not like it's the same thing, right? Like it's not like in every game it was their you know their past defense that was getting humiliated, like. Hell, they did. Like I said, they did so well against Oregon state that they stopped passing. They stopped Utah's passing attack. As you say, you know, who just clobbered USC and is going to the Rose bowl. You know, they, they stopped Arizona's passing attack. They have a top 30 offense in F plus they stopped BYU's passing attack. They have a top 30 offense in F plus, uh, Stanford, they, you know, have a, has an NFL quarterback uh, in in Tanner McKee, like they stopped their passing offense, right? Like, you know, it, it's not like they're th- the idea that this is just a trash defense that plays terribly every week is just like does not jibe with reality. But what does happen is in the games that they play badly, they play so badly that they might as well not have shown up. And yeah. And in particular against Oregon state, like I, that, that one is like the Washington's one kind of makes sense. Like, okay. You know, given Oregon's personnel, given they don't really have a pass rush because they lost cave Thibodeau and they, they don't really have great, um, pass coverage given they lost three corner, you know, three cornerbacks. I feel like nobody talks about this. They lost Mikhail Wright And DJ James and, uh, of McKinley, Kinley, the, the, you know, who'd play slot corner for him, uh, like and they replaced it with one you know christian gonzalez like it's not enough you know like they they, they needed more um mm-hmm. and and so like yeah that vulnerability was sort of obvious and they 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 managed it in a couple other games against good passing offenses like byu in arizona um and uh uh you know, in other games, they just sort of limited the damage, you know, like like Cal hit a couple of big passes against them, but otherwise they weren't able to get anything else going and Oregon managed it. Um, hell, even Colorado hit a big pass against them and they managed that game. Um but a game like Washington still sort of makes sense. Cause like, that's the only thing that Washington does, right? Like they're not good running the ball. They don't have a good defense. Like if Washington's going to win that game. That's how they're going to have to do it. And so like, that, that wasn't like a huge surprise. And and then, you know, you flip over to or and then they, they shut down Utah's, you know, passing attack, you know, which, you know, I really feel like Utah's offense is really like limited in terms of their passing game. And I'm sort of surprised that other defenses weren't able to do that. I frankly think it's a pretty poor reflection on Pac-12 defenses to be perfectly honest. Um, 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 uh, uh, but anyway, like they totally shut down Oregon state's passing, you know, attack. And then for 40 minutes of the game, they're doing a pretty good job against Oregon state's rushing attack. Like, that's the thing that's totally crazy is that up until, you know, it's like, it's about halfway through the third quarter, uh, Oregon's rush defense against Oregon state's rush offense is, you know, operating pretty effectively, you know, at about a 57% success rate, which is really good against Oregon state's run game. Um, and then, Oregon State finishes the game on 16 consecutive runs, none of which Oregon stops. And then you combine that with a bunch of special teams catastrophes, four consecutive special teams catastrophes that gives, you know, a bunch of short fields you know, to Oregon state and that's it like a game that should have been a 28 point win on the numbers, you know, turns into a loss. And that's one that I just totally can't explain. Like I really, I, I have no explanation for why the Oregon rush defense completely checked out at the end of that game. And it's a really like bitter way to end the season. And it's sort of, and I think for a lot of fans, it sort of retroactively casts a Paul on the rest of Oregon's season. Cause it was, it was the last thing that you saw and it was a winnable game that would have sent them to the PAC 12 championship. Um, and they blew it and, and I don't know why they blew it. Um, but it doesn't like y- if you're an analyst, which is, you know, my job, it's to say like, look, taken as a whole, you know, that, That was that was 20 minutes in one game, you know, like taken as a whole. Actually, this was a pretty solid performance. You know what I mean? Like, am I making sense what I'm talking about here?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And and that's why, you know, kind of going back to what I said about just uh, the the mentality, uh, the mindset Uh, championship teams know how to finish. Um, You've seen with the uh, successful teams that we've had in the past, they finish strong. And um, I think that's just one thing that, you know, Lanning, he's, he's fairly young. He's got a, you know, fairly young coaching staff. Uh, I think that's just one thing that they're going to have to work to instill on Oregon is is, is that uh, that killer mentality, you know, that, that step on the throat kind of attitude where it's like once we get someone down, once we have them in that position, that's it, it's over. They're not coming back on us. Um, you know, Oregon teams in the past, you you telling me that they're going to go up, you know, uh, t- 2810 or whatever on Oregon state that's that's over there is there is no way they're coming back on that and so I think what you saw uh because you know there's no real explanation for it from a physical standpoint is it was, it was literally just kind of like a like a like a like a mental lapse uh they, they they get up big in the in the third quarter and they're just like all right this is it then we, we got them they're just going to roll over and uh, that's 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 not Oregon state um I know in the past, let's face it, Oregon State has has been, you know, pretty poor. They've they've been kind of like, you know, a basement dweller. Um, But uh, Smith has has changed that culture there. Uh, He he has them playing with a different mindset. They're they're like, no, we're, we're, you know, we're a good team, and we're just going to keep battling and keep battling. And that's exactly what they did. And the the more Oregon State was telling themselves, we're going to keep fighting, we're going to keep doing what we do, we're going to keep coming after you. The more organs seem to be like, oh wait a minute, why, why, why are you still doing this? What, are are you're just supposed to roll over? We we showed you what we're made of. What's happening here? And so, uh, yeah, like uh, at least to me, <laughs> as as somebody who's not ne- nearly as good at analyzing, you know, statistical breakdowns, I have to assume that that's it's just about kind of like the mindset of the team as a whole. And you you really you cannot let up, especially in a rivalry game. Because we all know that even Oregon State, when they were at their worst, played Oregon very tough. And they're going to show up in that game with a lot of motivation. And You have to match that motivation. It's it's still got to be as important to you as it used to be. And I, f- I feel like that was maybe part of the problem. Uh, it used to be that, you know, the Civil War, or at least, you know, that's what fans are still referring to it as... Um, was you know that one game where it's like oh this is you know this is the big one this is the one we focus on this is what, and I I feel like uh, through a lot of Oregon success in the in the 2010s and stuff it became more of like a eh no not really I mean that's just Oregon State they're not very good we always we always pummel them and uh, yeah you you cannot have that mindset especially against a team like Oregon State that's now experiencing somewhat of a resurgence.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just definitely can't do it at the like, you know, Oregon Research Stadium is the only stadium in the Pac-12 over the last 20 years that Oregon doesn't have a winning record in Um, like Oregon owns every other team in their home stadium except for racer. Um, and it's because the home team keeps winning in that series. Um, you know, they Oregon state won the last two, uh, in, in research. Um, and yeah, it's re- you know, and the crazy thing about not being able to finish in that game is that like, that's the, the biggest, you know, the, the biggest attaboy that I would give Lanning staff compared to the previous staff is all the blowouts. You know, like where the previous staff really struggled, you know, putting teams away, um, you know, even games where like the, the win was assured, they still had to play their, their starters through to the final whistle. And I really liked this year that Oregon got a lot of developmental time for, you know, their backups, um, and, uh, you know, the backups obviously weren't as good like the, you know, and that's, you know, one of the big differences between Oregon and some of these elite teams that I've studied like Georgia and Ohio State and, 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 and a few in Florida State back in, you know, in 2014 and, and a couple others is that like, they not only are, are stacking a bunch of excellent recruiting classes, which, you know, here inherited and seems to be continuing, but that they've been doing years worth of blowing out opponents and developing their backups so that they can bring guys in who are fresh. Um um, and and you know the uh, the and so that you know when when um at the end of the year you know when they lose players the guys are ready to step up and start in game one of the subsequent season you know playing at a high level like that's something else that that oregon needs to be able to stack for a couple of years not just one year of it um so like you know buckle up oregon fans is probably you know like you need to have another 2022 you know for the next like two or three seasons if you want to get to georgia's level um but you know so so like for example one of my uh one of the stats that i pulled for for my article is that i've got about 200 fewer snaps to evaluate meaningful snaps non-garbage time snaps to evaluate oregon on versus the last you know three complete seasons under mario cristobal 2018 2019 and 2021 that's because oregon's blowing teams out and putting games into garbage time and it's also because they're hitting explosive plays on offense that they're scoring you know drives for like six seven plays instead of you know uh, nine or ten plays um but you know, that's a smaller factor. The larger factor is they're just putting game, games out of reach, um, and like, and, and so for that to be the way that you know Oregon finishes their regular season, not being able to finish against a rival, like, is it's maddening and it's totally out of character. I mean, it's that game was the the way that that game ended was out of character for Oregon in so many different ways, and, and I don't want to take anything away from Oregon State because, like you said. They really were playing well, um, they, and they really made a gutsy decision to just run the ball. Um, they, they, you know, they, they took advantage of special teams mistakes by Oregon, and they generated some special team stuff on their own. Um, like, you know, the, the, you know, good for them. Like I, you know, I, re, I I'll, hell, I'll pat myself on the back. Back in 2018, I called Jonathan Smith the best coach in the Pac-12, and took him this long for the Pac-12 to finally give him the the award. You know, I was like five years ahead of everybody else in pointing this guy out. Um, so really... Jonathan Smith your thunder is my thunder I'm stealing it from you <laughs> um, but you know like you you can't it, it's so out of character the way that Oregon ended that game and, and and my job you know in writing the article that I did is to sort of is to not let those 20 minutes of football um uh, have an, uh, an an outsized influence on the way that you evaluate the season um and so, you know, my entire article, you know, runs through position grades, you know, for every, you know, player who got meaningful time. Uh, you know, I, I go through the 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 um the effectiveness rates, the explosiveness rates, the yards per play on on offense and on defense. Um, uh, I the the other thing that was really interesting was um situational football to because ex- I finally, you know, by the end of the season, have enough plays that I can examine like, well, how do they do on second and short, and how do they do on, you know, you know, what are their play calls on first and ten. I I feel like um there's a really interesting like Oregon their efficiency rate on defense on second and short is pretty poor. They're you know allowing about something like 70% of second and, and and short plays to succeed, but what but they were limiting opponents to only about 4.6 yards per play on second and short. And it sort of revealed the defensive strategy to because a lot of offensive coordinators you know opposing offensive coordinators that's that's when they take shots is second and short right because they know if they don't get it well it's third and short i can just run the ball pick up a a fresh set of downs and oregon and and oregon's basically their strategy was to back out the safeties take away deep shots which they effectively did there's only one second and short deep shot that they gave up all year it was to georgia to a tight end go figure um uh, but otherwise, you know, and, and so like you can detect these sort of like strategic moves. I, I generally thought the defense was pretty well managed given that the personnel issues that they, they had, you know, where they don't have a pass rush and they've got they're shorthanded in the secondary and the inside linebacker core, you know, just didn't measure up, uh, as well as they should have, um, this year, I thought there was, you know, a lot of good defensive management. It's, you know, pretty encouraging to me, um, overall, even though you know the, the season ended with such a you know bad taste in your mouth and you can detect that stuff when you do statistical analysis and and frankly this article is the only place you're ever going to find it and you know <laughs> good luck finding that from any other site
1: yeah, yeah. You need to the <laughs> That's what we specialize in
0: all right let's take a break uh when we come back um we'll talk about oregon's new offensive coordinator hire So uh, you are going to be writing an article about Will Stein, right, Adam?
1: Correct. Uh, Yeah, Um, I will have an article coming out tomorrow, uh, kind of going into the ins and outs. I know that um, before I had kind of like that long winded article about what Oregon needed to look for in their new offensive coordinator. And so um, at least from uh, from an outsider's perspective, uh, looking at this, it's um, it's to me, it's, it's a good hire. I like it. Um, the one thing that I was kind of hoping for a little bit, which I, you know, I mentioned in my previous piece was that they would look for someone with a little more of a track record. Um, I think that's kind of the, 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 the one red flag you have with Stein is that, um, he's, he's, he's so new to the game now, uh, granted he's experiencing great success and, and, um, what I think it, it kind of relates to a lot is, is, is Lanning. Um, you look at last year and, uh, you know, Lanning all of a sudden had this amazing success at Georgia. Uh, but he's, he's, he's just not a, he was not a coach with a, with a, a standing background, um, with, you know, a lot of experience in the field and it's, it's working okay with him. And so I think that, uh, again, that's what you're kind of, what they're looking for obviously is like some young enthusiasm, um an offensive coordinator that you know you know kind of is a go getter, which is fine. Uh, I'm not gonna sit there and say I have an issue with that. um I think the only issue you see with that sometimes um and and you saw it present itself with Dillingham is that um you can have this uh, you know young creative mind offensively that's this throwing in these exciting plays, being able to move the ball and everything. Uh, but when it comes to you know clutch situations, when it comes to you know games against rivals, when it comes to you know like the kind of fundamentals of football, what what are you gonna see out of them? Are you gonna see the proper decision making that you see from coaches who've had kind of years of experience who've, who've been in the battles and what and whatnot um, so I think that's my primary concern. With Stein. Now, the uh, the other thing that I had pointed out in the article that I wrote that I like about Stein is that he is a uh, quarterbacks coach and a former quarterback himself. And I had put emphasis on that that whatever offensive coordinator we hire needs to be a great developer of quarterbacks. Um, I think, as you continue to see, Dante Moore, um, our, our five star recruit, show that he is indeed on board with Oregon and is, you know, not planning on heading elsewhere just because Dillingham left, I think that's going to be very essential to have a coach that understands quarterback and knows how to develop it. Because honestly, um, I've, I've watched some tape of more and whatnot. Um, and, and from everything that I've seen, this kid looks to me, like he could be every bit of a five-star recruit. You know, he really looks like somebody who could live up to the hype. And I know you, you know, you say that a lot and you see that a lot, but in this case, it's, it's mostly just like his ball placement, his accuracy and his understanding of how to move in the pocket that I really think will make him an extremely effective quarterback. But obviously a lot of that goes back to coaching. And so I think that when you have somebody like Stein who knows so much about quarterbacks and who has de- developed um, quarterbacks as a coach? I think that's that's that's, that's uh, one of those gold stars that you give them, where it's like, good. That's that's kind of what we need. So honestly, um, like I said, there's there's things that concern me a little bit about it with his age, with his lack of experience and whatnot. But uh, the thing that I like is that. He's, um, you know, kind of like a pass-oriented offensive coordinator and a quarterbacks coach. And uh, I think that's one thing that you'll see a lot of moving forward is the development and the uh, the threat of, of, of the quarterback position at Oregon.
0: Well, yeah, and it's, it's sort of been remarkable how, you know, Oregon's quarterback development has been pretty poor, um, over the last like decade or so they sort of get lucky with Justin Herbert. Although I, I think there were some significant flaws to his game in college that don't get worked out until he hits, until he hits the pros. Um, they get, you know, they get lucky with a couple of transfers and Vernon Adams and bone Nix and otherwise, you know, and, and Marcus Mariota, um, of course. Uh, but you know, we're not talking about like four staffs ago, like, you know, like Oregon's sort of been junky at quarterback development having somebody who you know has a fantastic you know the, the development of frank harris at utsa is is nothing short of phenomenal um the, the the you know like just look at his his um his passer rating numbers you know goes you know 123 129 uh then 152 and then in this season to 167 it's just like it's a steady and uh, like awesome climb um And, uh, you know, to to, uh, just like, you know, I haven't reviewed the film yet, although I did that. I sort of, I don't want to say I predicted this higher, but when the Dillingham to ASU talk started up, I, um, I basically said, uh, Okay, this is going to happen, and and he's going to have to landing, is going to have to hire a new OC, and he's not going to hire an old timer. Like, I don't think he's, you know, because some we were talking about in the last segment, a lot of things that I appreciate, but Steam is sort of like they're analytically minded and they're sort of new school when it comes to their approach, you know, in terms of like EPA maximization, field position on analysis, um, you know, how you leverage fork downs, how you leverage the clock at different tempos, um you know, modulating tempo instead of like always going at one tempo or the other. Like, like winning the middle eight. Like there's a lot of like modernity in college football to the staff. And so I don't think he's hiring like, oh, this dude's been in the NFL for the last 12 years, like type of offensive coordinator. I think that, you know, he's going with the young guy. And so it was like fairly easy to locate like, okay, let me find all the offensive coordinators who are under the, you know, the age of 40, uh, who, you know, are heading a top 25 offense and that, you know, there was only a couple of them and, and Will Stein was one of them. So I went ahead and acquired all of UTSA's film prophylactically and it turned out to be, you know, um a good decision. I, I have all 13 of their games. I, I will have their 14th when they play their bowl game against Troy. I will be analyzing that film, um, for, a, a, in a future project, probably in January after the bowl game. Um, but, uh, it, but I haven't looked at it yet, but I have put together their numbers and it's like, yeah, uh, it's definitely, you know, it's a run to win team and Stein is on record as being, you know, run to win guy, but his quarterback development of Frank Harris has been tremendous. Um, and that's not like the most talented dude in the universe either. I think he was a 0.83 at a, a high school. Um, and, and if you actually get good quarterback development out of your OC, cause like, I really feel like that was, that's been a huge problem um, for, for Oregon under, you know, both Joe Moorhead and Marcus Arroyo, um, who I feel like uh, some Oregon fans, you know, were taking shots at Joe Moorhead, a ton of Oregon fans taking shots at Marcus Arroyo. I, I, I thought that their play calling wasn't really the problem. Um, in fact, I really love Joe Moorhead's play calling, but I thought those guys were pretty lousy quarterback developers. Um, and I think the records indicated it at their other schools as well. Um, and, you know, getting an OC who's not just like, Young and a hot shot, and you know, proven track record of calling very explosive offenses. Um, and is analytically minded so that he sort of fits with the Lanning Dillingham axis of you know college football modernity and has a track record of making a quarterback better every year that he plays for him. Like that, you know, that was something that Oregon hasn't really had. Um, really, over the last decade, you sort of have to go back to, um, to, 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 to uh, Scott Frost to find an OC slash quarterback developer, you know, for Oregon to do that. you know, I sort of feel like it's been missing piece of the puzzle. Um, and, uh, so yeah, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to that project and to, you know, hoping that Will Stein is, you know, all all of those things for Oregon. Um, uh, the, 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 and, and like, do you know what I mean about but sort of like college football modernity, like the the sort of like get out of the the old ways? You know, you got a pun on every fourth down. You know what I'm talking about, Adam?
1: Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 um, development and and change in the sport, which you're you're going to see no matter what. Um, you know, you even you even look at the conference as a whole. Uh, you know, 20, 20 odd years ago or whatnot, we were still you know running pro style offenses. You know, a lot, a lot of teams were kind of like. Uh, you know, sticking to the under center. And now you look around the Pac-12 pack and you see people spread all over the place. Uh, you see, you know, dual threat quarterbacks all over the place. Um, and then, you know, th- then that starts to, to gradually go throughout the entire conference. And, you know, now you're even seeing some of that in the SEC a little bit. Mm. And so it's just, yeah, it's just the progression of the sport pretty much. Um, I think just the thing that, that, that concerned me a little bit is that, uh, you know, no matter what, there's always going to be situations that call for fundamentals. And so I think that was just the little concern that I had is that, you know, in some of those situations against UW, against Oregon state, when it was really kind of like, oh, you have like, you know, fourth and two or something, you're you know, kind of like inside a midfield, um, you know, in situations like that. Get, get rid of it, punt it over, you know, give them lousy field position and, and let your defense do their job instead of trying to be cute, instead of trying to be like, oh, let's run this trick play. Let's, you know, you know, mix it up do a, you know, reverse sweep or something and try and pick up this fourth down. There's a time and a place for that. And so I, I think, I think that was just kind of like my, my concern was that, you know, not not that you know every coach has to be like totally cut and dry just like we're going to do it exactly like this we're going to do it because that was one of the problems i think honestly that you saw with Cristobal and um you know his offensive philosophy was that no matter what we're just going to continue to run it behind our offensive line we're going to you know, run it run it run it straight up the middle behind those big offensive linemen and you know that led to some some great victories for oregon but at the same time there was other games when it was like okay if you become a little more creative if you, you know, air it out a little more, if you try something a little different than just continuously running it right behind, you know, the, the big hogs, then you might have a little more success moving the ball. So I, I, I am excited for sure about his, his track record with uh, with quarterbacks and his experience being a quarterback. Um, all I, all I would be concerned about, like I said, is is that sometimes the young mindset can be a little too much like uh, let's 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 go for the show instead yeah, of, the, of like the
0: enfant terrible, you know problem yeah i mean yeah. i know what you mean and there's definitely a balancing act there between like you know there there are coaches who are too old and too conservative and there are coaches who are too young and and precocious and there's a the a middle ground that you got to get to but like that's the job of the head coach you know like mm-hmm. the, the, the the you know in my opinion you know the best arrangement <sighs> is if the 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 the, the, the the, the offensive coordinator is the gas pedal and there's no brakes, you know, and it's the job of the offensive of the head coach to be like, no, let's tap the brakes here. You know, let's turn the steering wheel into this skid here. You know, like I, I want my OC, like I kind of want like a young gunslinger OC, um, who's not sort of like bound to these sorts of things. And if N- Lanning says, no, this is a situation that calls for aggression or calls for something unusual or calls for a surprise or something that you're, that when you go to your offensive coordinator, that he says, yeah, you bet, Coach. I'm ready to go. You know, with that stuff, like you don't want to be in a situation where you need to say that to your offensive coordinator, and your offensive coordinator is this crusty dude with 30 years in the NFL who's like, oh no, I don't. What do you want me to do? You know, you know what I mean? Like, that, yeah, that sort of like precociousness is just like it's, you know, it's, it's what you got when you hired a 36 year old head coach. Like, yeah. you know, like it's what you signed up for. Um, and, and leaning into. I mean, I'm not just talking about like the, you identified several like tactical level, you know, things like, you know, don't just run the ball every single play. I would sort of I, I would just it another layer up to the strategic layer or the game management or game planning, you know, where like the thing that really impressed me about the 2022 season was that like, OK, so I'm the film reviewer, right? and you know my job is to you know I just watch I don't just watch Oregon I watch all Oregon's opponents and I you know I put together all you know in fact I watch more film on Oregon's opponents than I watch on Oregon right cuz you know I,
1: I, of course
0: that's the case right there's only 12 Oregon games but there's like 144 opponents games right um yeah. uh, 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 and you know the the, the 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 thing that's frustrating to me You know, when I would write articles over over, for Addicted to Quack, you know, for which was Mario Cristobal up until this year, was that like I write out like, okay, they're vulnerable to this, and they're vulnerable to this, and they're vulnerable to this, but don't attack them, you know, here because they're really going to beat you, and you know, if you do that. But if you have like a a smart game plan that sort of adapts to attack these areas where they're weak and avoids these areas where they're strong or manage these areas where they're strong, that like you can run these guys off the field. And then Oregon was running guys off the field because they were just running their base. strategy you know their, their basic approach every single game to the point where like I wondered whether or not they had another approach and then, you know, you can dismiss it as too cute, you know, if you want. And I think that there are a couple of occasions in which that uh, descriptor applies. But by and large, I was really impressed with the Oregon 2022, like general, like high level strategic concept of, of doing what I wanted them to do as a film reviewer. Like I repeatedly snuck in lines that maybe astute readers detected in my post game, you know, the articles that I on on Tuesday that were like oh, look, Oregon staff does film study. You know, oh, look, they identified this vulnerability. It's how they beat Utah. It's definitely, in fact, you know, I I think I've said before, like, I'm really surprised that other teams didn't shut down Utah as effectively as Oregon did. Um, They should have, because Utah is very predictable, and sure enough, what do I turn on? What do I see when I turn on the film is Oregon predicting Utah in the ways that they're predictable and containing them in ways that that predictability dictated. Um, and, you know, not just in the passing game, but in the running game, there was a reason why Oregon got all this tax for loss against Utah when they weren't really generating those, you know, against other teams. And the reason is because if you read my article, uh, my preview article about Utah, you should be able to point to your screen and say, I know exactly what this play is going to be, not only run versus pass, but I know which direction it's going to go. And, 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 Guess what? Oregon's defensive line knew that it was going to be a run. It was going to go that direction. And so Casey Rogers was able to get in the backfield and get attacked for loss because slanting, you know, he's slanting right off the snap. And it's like, yeah, dude, like do film study and adjust your game plan. And like, that sort of feels like, a, I'm not saying that only young coaches can do that, but, but, but what I appreciated about the staff was the sort of flexibility and humility to say, I can play football in multiple ways I'm not just going to like perfect one thing and only know how to do one thing and only win games in one way. I'm going to win games in the way that is most likely to, um, you know, to defeat this particular opponent in this week. Um, And, and going with an offensive coordinator who I think I'm not sure about this. I haven't studied the film on it and I'm looking forward to your article um, uh, tomorrow about it. But like I, I having an OC who's like, you know, that's sort of, I feel like there's a kinship there between Dillingham and Stein and not just because they're young guys, um, but, but because like, they definitely seem to be driven about analytics. Like I've, I've watched interviews with Stein and I've watched him at coaching clinics and like his description of the way that his, you know, offense works. I mean, it's different from the way that Dillingham describes his offense. I've listened to interviews, with Dillingham as well. And I mean, he's a future Oregon opponent, so I need to learn, you know, as much as I can about him. Right. Oregon's going to play ASU. Um, yeah. Yeah uh which those that that should be a fun game um anyway the uh like what I pick up from Stein from, from, from watching him in coaching clinics um, is that like that dude is about identifying how you actually win football games that the, the, the analytics have produced, not like, not aesthetically what you find pleasing about football or what you did when you were a player or what your coach, your first coach who had an outsized influence on your development as a, as a coach yourself, you know, has, has taught you, well, that's just the way that we do it and you know don't question these you know how, how dare you question me go around stadium steps coach you know like um you know yeah. like that. The, the sort of like flexibility is definitely what I and like willingness to say like yeah traditionally this works in football but it doesn't now so we're not going to do it like that sort of attitude like yeah man yeah like that's it's 2022 2023 like that's you need that and I'd, I'd rather have that than like some of the names that got bandied around as like, you know, like there's this overreaction in the fan base because there always is just like, oh, my God, they lost their last game because they were too cute. And so therefore, I want a crusty NFL vet who can hold Dan Lanning's hand and walk him through this stuff. And I'm like, no, nah, man, don't hit the gas or don't hit yeah. the brake, hit the gas.
1: Yeah, yeah, agreed. So, um, and yeah, on, on, on the whole though, I'm, 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 I'm pleased with who they picked because like I said, the, the quarterback development was probably the number one thing that I pushed. And obviously you saw that too. And then, um, from, from everything we've seen, we, we hired a great quarterback developer.
0: Well, let's cross our fingers. Cause it's definitely, you know, you need that, especially in the modern game. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Do uh, you have any parting words of wisdom for us, Adam? <laughs>
1: Um, like I said, just uh, keep your chin up, Duck fans. I know, uh, the, the, the last game was, was not something that we want to see. I know it kind of like put a, a sour note on the end of the season, but you know, look forward, look forward to the holiday bowl. Uh, you know, Nix is a gamer and he's already said he's going to play in the game. Uh, should be a fun matchup down there in San Diego
0: yeah i'm uh, i'm i'm getting started you know watching my north carolina film um it's going to take me a little while to finish it up you know between the the holidays and seeing my family and so forth i'm not doing i'm not doing two days sorry ducks fans like you're gonna have to wait until a couple days before the game for me to publish my article um on north carolina so i'm you know uh, you're you're not going to see me much uh, other than the podcast for for a little while, while i'm catching up on unc film because it's not like i was watching any of the acc this year like oh my god what a Trash conference. (laughs) Holy cow. Um. But uh, yeah, I should have a pretty good article um, on UNC. I acquired all of their film. No problem locating any of those games. Uh, And uh, I'm 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 looking forward to the work. I'm looking forward to the game. I'm looking forward to the matchup of Knicks versus Drake May. It's another really great quarterback. Um, And uh, and looking forward to to one more hurrah for Ducks football. I'm definitely looking forward to this team getting 15 more practices. Like there's a bunch of Pac-12 teams that you know that aren't going to get that, um, and Oregon is. uh, In in, in fact, they locked that in. You know in in, in, you know, early in the season that they were going to get those extra practices. So I dug that too.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: All right. uh, That's it for this week. Uh, Take care, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.